Hello, everyone, and welcome to the final episode of the Irish Football Fans Podcast of 2021. Uh, I'm joined by Mark Kennedy uh, of Hawkeye Psychic and Philip Flanagan of the Bottomless Pit of Football, fresh from his pop-up shop opening there in Mail. We're going to discuss 2021, the year that was in uh, Irish international football. Uh, looking forward to the talk, guys. Uh, how are you both doing? Yeah, all good, Joe. Yeah, have Christmas everyone. So, if you cast your minds back 12 months, we were all looking forward to a meaningful Christmas, uh, as has been described to us by Antishak. But all was not well in the camp for uh, Stephen Kenny's uh, Ireland team. Uh, Damien Duff had stepped down, Alan Kelly had stepped down as goalkeeping coach. Uh, we were still dealing with the fallout from. The video that was shown to the players before the England friendly, uh, Stephen Kenny had become only the second Ireland manager to fail to win in eight consecutive games. Uh, only Mick Megan, who uh, who lost her through the 12 games that he was in charge for from September 1969 to May 1971, had had a longer winless run. We still had only scored one goal under the new manager, a late header from Shane Duffy against Bulgaria in his first game in charge. Uh, and we were facing into a World Cup qualifying campaign in a group that included Serbia and Portugal, but also Minos, Luxembourg, where we were hoping to get our first win. Um, so let's start there. Phil, uh, do you remember what you were doing 12 months ago? And uh, more importantly, do you remember the, what do you remember about the setup for the national team at the time? Well, 12 months ago, crying the pubs were closing. Um, <laughs> so, More things change, right? Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I was trying to think back to when the draw was done and at the end of the year. And I remember thinking that, well, first of all, I thought looking at the, the fixture list we had, I didn't think we had a whole and hell of qualifying from that group. Now, we had a bad end of the year before previous but it didn't really, it wasn't enough to sober up a lot of Irish fans into realising kind of how low we had fallen. And I think with Duff leaving and Alan Kelly leaving in January, I think that was a bit of a wake-up call because it was the first time for me where I really thought, my God, this man, Stephen Kenny, looks way out of his depth because the notion of the whole video gate instance, it, it just looks nearly David Brentish. It looked amateur and I I hadn't high hopes for us for the year. But then we had some glimmers with you know, we could see some young players getting games, but at the start of the year let's put it this way, I wasn't looking forward to I wasn't expecting much from the team. You know, especially with all the the um the changes going on in the backroom team as well. It it was just very the, the whole team was just just unsettled. You know, the direction seemed to have been lost. Yeah, I think what most fans were thinking at the time was that this wasn't what we had been promised when Stephen Kenny was appointed, that we were going to move away from the football that we had seen under the previous three managers, especially the football that they had all played towards the end of their reigns, and we would see something closer to what uh, we'd become used to to Stephen Kenny's under-21 sides playing, and before that, his Dundalk side that he took into Europe. But 
as I say, we'd only scored one goal, and it was a goal that we've seen, I don't know how many times before, uh, Shane Duffy had her from a corner late on, and hadn't scored since in more than 600 minutes of football. And the football wasn't great. The tactics, the formation seemed to be unfamiliar to the players. We were worried about the coaching. I know we talked about Damien Duff stepping down or stepping aside and Alan Kelly stepping aside and the the video debacle at the time. And we've said, look, these things happen at every team and every club all around the world, but they've just all happened at the same time. And it, it, it just made things look really bad. And I really did fear going into that opening game against Serbia. But Mark, you have to say, well, we had a really good start to that game. And I think it was probably the best football that we played under the manager at that time. I'd agree, Joe. Just going back to your point, I think there was an awful lot of doom and gloom, but I think we have to kind of appreciate the lack of preparation time that Stephen Kenny and his backroom staff had with the players. And, I mean, he was borne out by those results. But the Serbian game, I was filled with a little bit of apprehension, I would say, before kickoff. But as you said, for the first 15, 20 minutes, I thought we played some excellent football. Passed it around very well, like we did in previous internationals, particularly Nations League game. I'm thinking in terms of Helsinki against Finland, where we did pass it around very well. But we did have a bit of a cutting edge to us. It was a great goal from Alan Brown. But... Yeah, like that Serbia game really did kind of expose on two levels. One was, you know, our in-game management. I know, Phil, you've alluded to it an awful lot during this podcast series in terms of maybe Stephen Kenny, particularly at the start of campaign, not being able to react. And really, when you had the likes of Dusan Tadic and uh, Mitrovic, they continued to dominate this group ultimately. But in the Serbian management, they literally saw what we threw at them for 30 minutes and then gradually got a foothold in the game and really did expose us. But again, uh, all in all, I think on that Serbian game, it was, a, it was an all right performance. Now, again, a few players were thrown into the deep end, thinking in terms of Mark Travers. He had zero minutes, first team minutes with AFC Bournemouth. Maybe that was borne out Metrovic's second goal. But we never gave up the fight. You know, James Collins late strike. We did throw bodies forward at the end. I mean, I I think the general vibe after that Serbian game, Joe and Phil, correct me if I'm wrong, was positivity, really. You know, it could have gone a hell of a lot worse. I mean, think back to the England game in Wembley in the 12th of November when it was 3-0. could have easily been 6-7. So, I mean, the fact that we scored a few goals, I think, was kind of a blessing in disguise. But, um, you know, it was a loss against a good quality outfit in Serbia. But, uh, again, I think hopes were high uh, going into that Luxembourg game. Yeah, just that I... Alan Brown was the, was the big revelation that game. I think pushing him up and playing him kind of not exactly in the hole, but as a as an as an attacking forward. Mark is right. That we got a great goal and look, Travers he was lobbed. He he's recovered now, thank God. But his international career hasn't recovered. But while it was good, it was we did in glimpses play some good stuff, but also in large parts of the game we could see how far away we were as well from being a quality side you know they did toy with us a lot at a few stages and they did rest a few players so there was some bright points uh, Malumbi was in there he played well overall optimistic coming out of it yeah but I don't think anyone expected what we were going to see in the next game it was t- t- totally out of the blue and I think that's kind of up until that point that was very much the team with Stephen Kenny it was all a bit too uh, up and down there was no 
I don't want to say solemnness. There was it, it just wasn't there was no cohesion with the results or the standard of play. It was more just glimpses here and there, glimmers of what it should be. But there was we weren't seeing enough of it to be convinced. So Serbia kind of improved that, but Travers paid the price for the, the three goals he conceded in that game and hasn't made an appearance for the national side since. Now, that's partially because of the emergence of uh, Gavin Mizuno, and we're going to we're going to talk about him later on. I do, but I do feel that Travers's performance in that game and his subsequent performances for AFC Bournemouth this season, the performances have merited at least one more uh, uh, international cap. I do see some talk online that he'll never play for Ireland again, and I can't, I don't believe that for a second. Bournemouth are looking strong candidates for promotion this season, and he's still their number one keeper if they go up, if he's playing regular Premier League football next season. Because I don't think Gavin Bazunu will play Premier League football next season, and I don't think Creven Keller is going to force his way into the Liverpool team uh, as things stand. So I would find it very hard to count out uh, a player playing Premier League football. Now, Serbia, if you look at the players, they've brought on Mitrovic in that game, and his his two goals changed the game. Uh, we weren't able to bring on anyone of that quality. James Collins came on and did score uh, a very late consolation goal, but uh, you know, leading three one with only a few minutes to go at home, you know, you couldn't make the argument that Serbia just switched off for a second and allowed the Cardiff City striker in to score maybe a goal that he wouldn't have scored earlier in the game. I think Joe, sorry Joe, I think um, no matter how how bad it got the year before, we we never seemed to realise just how far behind these teams we were. Like even coming into that Serbia game, like they did rest a lot of players and like to be honest, they toyed with us a lot of the second half and they were never really worried. You know, when you have game changers like Mitrovic able to come off the bench and do something like that and just punish amateurish mistakes, it. I think that was the while we did see glimmers, as I said, that was the game where we kind of saw how big the job still was because we were so far into it. We had so many games under Kenny. That was a game where we thought, oh, geez, we still have an awful lot to do to get to where we even think we want to go. We don't have anyone that's even close to Dusan Tadic either, and he assisted no. all three of the goals. You know, his his range of passing, his vision on the pitch is phenomenal, and we're... Uh, we're a long way from producing a player of that quality. So I think there was an air of, uh, not optimism, but there was definitely improved confidence after the Serbia game. We had scored two goals away from home. Yes, we had lost, but it was a team that we didn't expect to win. And we were facing Wonder Group, Minos at home in the next game, Luxembourg. We expected to, to score. We expected to win uh, against a team that we had 100% record against. And we accepted that the manager would probably rotate the squad a little bit to maybe introduce some players. But I think in retrospect, he did too much. He changed the sides that had done well and the, the changes that he made led to the results. Probably the worst home result in our history when we lost 1-0 to, to Luxembourg. Look, hindsight is always twenty twenty. You always You can always say what could have been done. But I think in particular, changing the midfield from the uh, from a midfield three, so at two two and one with uh, Brown pushed up pushed forward, um, was a mistake. I think bringing in Jason Knight and dropping Jason Malumbi exposed the central midfield. 
I think Knight is probably more of a 10 until he learns the discipline to play uh, centre midfield. And it, maybe it wasn't too much of a shock that the goal that Luxembourg did score came kind of down that inside right channel. Mark, look, it's the worst home result in our history. And I think at that stage, people were, if the noise were out, uh, if they weren't already out for the manager, and people were starting to talk about who his replacement was going to be. I think the saving grace for Stephen Kenny and the management background staff and the players was that we're playing in an empty Aviva stadium. I really do firmly believe, guys, if we had a full house in Aviva, but he would have been still as manager. Come oh, I think he would have been seriously gone, guys. Gone. I mean, yeah. you know, you could see the winner coming uh, from about maybe 15, 20 minutes out. Like in fairness to Luxembourg, they stay compact for 55 minutes of the game. But then when they realised that we had nothing to offer in the final third, the Till brothers, uh, Gerson Rodriguez, started to start roving a little, little bit more in attacking positions. So really it didn't really come as a huge shock when Rodriguez, he was the best player in the park, guys. And again, this is a guy that's playing Champions League football in the Ukraine. Comes in, picks it up, as you say, Joe, in between midfield and uh, our centre-halves, and it's a superb shot past Gavin Bazuna. And fairs, Bazuna was probably the shining light of the game. Looked very competent on the ball, but again, everything kind of overridden from the results. And uh, yeah, we huffed and puffed, and then we went back to our tried and trusted, you know, trying to get a result, you know, hoofing the ball along um, last five, ten minutes. So yeah, it, it was a poor, poor performance. I mean, the performance is off for minute one, as you say, Joe. I think we just had no cohesion. The tempo was all wrong. We tried to improve things, but as we got a little bit too anxious with the ball, we're making too many unforced errors, particularly too deep in our own half, and allowing Luxembourg more and more confidence as the game wore on. So I think Luxembourg, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, were full value for this win <laughs> because we just literally didn't threaten anything in the final third. And then, as I say, from the outset of this commentary, it was a good job no one was in the Aviva because I think Stephen Kenny wouldn't have lasted out. Yeah, I just think it was, um, it was just exasperating, really, because we had the new backroom team in but I've never seen a more confused group of players to ever play for an Ireland team. Like, we've often seen poor Ireland teams under Mick McCarthy get beat by poor teams or fail to beat poor teams, but you can kind of see what they're trying to do. Like, you can see Glenn Whelan's there and he's passing the ball sideways, and at least you can see he's been told to do that. Whereas this Ireland team really didn't look like they knew what they were meant to be doing. I can only imagine the amount of changes tactically they were they had gone through in the last, say, two to three months, and it really looked like it was impeding on their performance because it was just, it was, it was just bad. Like they were, the Luxembourg were full value for their win, and I, I, you know, you see something like that happen, and you see the ineptness of the performance, the backline not really knowing what they're supposed to do positionally, who's meant to receive the ball in midfield, strikers just looking lost, and you're thinking, you know, after Serbia, which Joe, you're right, there was some like we scored two goals and whatever. It was just, it was, it was rock bottom. That's what it was. That was, that was the stage where we hit rock bottom. I think, in in Irish football in the last while, since the Denmark playoff game, anyway. Even though it was still a, a playoff game, but I think that was rock bottom. And I think you were right, Mark. That was basically full blown civil war. That game, like the, you look at Twitter, Facebook, any of the comments, any of the the sites after it. It was, it was civil war altogether. There was an awful lot of people that wanted to get rid of Stephen Kenny that night. I, I think fully justified. The worst result in Irish football history for me will always be the 5-2 loss in Cyprus. 
and Steve Staunton barely lasted a year after that. By the time we kick off our two friendlies uh, in in March, Stephen Kenny would have lasted a year after the loss to Luxembourg. Uh, but at the time when we reviewed the game, we were saying we didn't know if he'd make it past the summer. There was three friendly games following the, the Luxembourg qualifier, Qatar, Andorra and Hungary. And if we didn't get our first win from those three, uh, what was the point in appointing Stephen Kenny? There didn't seem, the team just seemed to be getting worse. As you say, the organisation was gone. Um, a lot was made that James Coleman and Matt Doherty seemed, both seemed to be playing the same role. And Stephen Kenny had talked before about how one of the things he wanted to do was to integrate these two Premier League players into this into the squad, into the starting eleven, and he just didn't seem capable of it. Troy Parrish and Jason Malumbi came on with two minutes to go in that game when we were one and down. Crazy, um, crazy I, stuff. I mean, it was it was throwing all your chips on the table time. They weren't going to make a difference to the game at that time. And the questions that were being asked were: Is senior international football beyond Stephen Kenny's abilities? There's nothing wrong with that. Even international football is beyond a lot of managers' uh, abilities. But at that stage, it was kind of damage control, you know, what was being done to the national side. But the players still backed him, and I think that was important. The final game in that triple header from March was a friendly in neutral territory against Qatar, who were preparing for the, the World Cup, which is 11 months away now. And... I don't know about a win, but we definitely needed a performance out of it. I don't know if we got it, but we did score a nice goal. And I think it was probably the first play that we've seen where you kind of saw the influence of Chelsea's Anthony Barry. It was James McLean and Daryl Horgan linking up to great effect. And we have seen uh, McLean playing the role that he played in, in this goal a little bit more than the, normally we would associate him as you know someone who's stuck to the sideline. But for the, for this goal, you know he did come in a little. Uh, he was playing seems to be playing more the inside left channel, and I think he had he had a really good performance against Qatar. Uh, now we finished. Uh, it finished one all. I think most people were happy that it wasn't the loss that we had scored, but. The overall feeling after the three games was that we're going to get to the summer and then the FAI are going to look for a new international manager. We needed a win, really, didn't we? We didn't get it. Between the end of the Luxembourg game and the beginning of the Andorra game, I think the feeling was the way, the same the whole way through. I think even after the one-all with Qatar, I still think it was like, oh, no, I don't think, you know, I don't think this guy's right for the job. I won't lie, my memory of that Qatar game is limited, and I watched it, but I, I can't remember, there, was, there wasn't too many standout performances about it, I, you know, there wasn't anyone, I think Jason Knight played okay, but there wasn't really a lot going on, and I think that was at, at the stage then where interest was starting to wane big time as well, we kind of got, we had the anger and the, the outrage after the Luxembourg game, and, and then it was going to, oh, they drew a Qatar, oh, well, you know, whatever. From a lot of fans. That's the way it seemed to have gone around then. Look at his selection as well, guys. I mean, he brought in an awful lot of experienced heads into that fixture. I think it just placed the emphasis, just do not get beat on the night. I mean, he had Shane Long spearheading uh, up front. He had Robbie Brady, Jeff Hendrick came back in. James McLean, Cyrus Christie. I mean, these are all guys that have... Uh, our experience kind of internationals been in the setup. So, I mean... 
you know, it was good early opening. Qatar did prey on us a little bit, particularly with our unforced errors with the ball. Matari scored a goal straight after half time. Could argue Qatar could have had another goal as well, but the fact that we only uh, gave away, I think, was two shots on target during that game. At least it kind of gave a bit of a sense of, okay, defensively we're getting a little bit better. Again, nothing to write home about, as Phil said. I mean, it's pretty unforgettable. I mean, it was more of an exercise for Qatar to get them up to speed, get a bit more competitiveness heading into the World Cup next year. But at least we didn't get beat. And, I mean, I think the viewpoint, I think after the game was, look, it was a draw, friendly match. From my own sense, uh, the Andorra-Hungary games, at least that was probably the first significant period where our new backroom staff could really work with the players uh, on a bit of a su- extended summer training camp. So, look, it was a draw. Look, draw a line under it. But m- my hope was that the summer would see a bit more improvement in the performances and particularly the vision of the team. I think the big takeaway from the first three games of this year was the emergence of Gavin Bizzunu. Um Travers, I still think, was treated a little bit unfairly and made a bit of a scapegoat for the result in Serbia. You know, okay, his, his uh, positioning sense let him down for uh, definitely one of Mitrovic's goals, but the other side of it is Mitrovic has the kind of talent and ability that at a certain point there's nothing you can do about it. And it gave Bazunu a chance uh, to come into the national side uh, for that qualifier against Luxembourg and the, the friendly against Qatar and Look, he's, he took his opportunity and he's never looked back. So, with those three games out of the way and the European Championships set to kick off across Europe, uh, but not in Dublin uh, in the summer, uh, the, the national team assembled again for two friendlies uh, early in June against Minos and Dora and a hungry team that were facing into a European Championship campaign where they're going to face Portugal, France and Germany, uh, a daunting group for, for many. Uh, and this was their final uh, warm-up game before it. Now, the Luxembourg result is the worst result in Kenny's reign so far, and as I said, it's the worst home result in our lifetimes, probably ever. But the worst moment of Stephen Kenny's reign has to have come after 52 minutes of the friendly against Andorra, when Andorra took the lead. Now, we couldn't believe what we were seeing. This was a friendly against uh, uh, the Minnows of Minnows. Uh, we had it. Uh, the team had had a training camp for uh, a little bit longer than had been the case previously. Uh, we expected uh, the first win of Stephen Kenny's reign, and instead, with the second half only just kicking off, we were 1-0 down. And... Uh, I'm almost certain, Mark, that I texted you and said, that's it, he's done. Yeah, <clears throat> uh, in polite fashion there, Joe, to be honest, I think you, you were far stronger than that. Um, yeah, look, even the goal itself, guys, Mark Valdez, I'd say I couldn't believe his luck. I mean, what a complete breakdown in communication defensively. People like zone and marking, calling an offside trap. I don't know what went on there in that Ireland defence, but Valdez did slot the ball well over um Bizzuno. I mean, prior to that, guys, I mean, the tempo wasn't there. Passing was pretty slow for Marlon Pedestrian. Yeah, it looked pretty grave for Stephen Kenny and the management team, but I suppose we'll talk about it now. The young guns came to the rescue. Yeah, Troy Parrott saved Stephen Kenny's job, and that was the headline, and that was it. Basically, 
he did like I don't know was there a rocket up up their hose at half time but he basically he saved his job because that was if if the Luxembourg game was the the worst result I think the the um the first half of that Andorra game was the worst half of football we may have seen from an Irish team it was brutal it was brutal stuff but they managed to turn it around um like it was a good performance in part with the two goals yeah I suppose Jason Knight as well kind of scored as well in that final 20 minutes and I suppose you could argue Andorra's conditioning uh, came into the effect with 30 minutes to go. They were hanging on for their life at that stage. But, I mean, Paris really took the game by the scruff of the neck, didn't he, Phil? You know, it was a great first goal. And then second goal was a nice strike as well. Opened a bit of daylight between ourselves and Andorra. And then I think the last 15, 20 minutes, I think, was pretty pretty standard saying. I mean, Daryl Horgan actually was prominent as well. I thought it was one of his better games for Ireland, Daryl. You know, it's gone. It was almost like a wake up call, the second goal, because it's like the players finally realised, hang on, this is Andorra. If we get at them, we'll win. It was nearly like they were sleepwalking through the match at that stage. But I suppose the big takeaway from the first four games that we've mentioned is that we didn't keep a clean sheet, you know, against Luxembourg and Andorra. And really, we could see, we can see now at the end of the year, in hindsight, that the defence was the big problem and it was the it was the start of the problems running up through the midfield. And like that's once we fix that, we've started to play well and we, we've started to get results. But it was just really the defence trying to find its feet for those few games that was one of our biggest downfalls because we used to be hard to beat, but we we, we were soft. We conceded sloppy goals. And the Andorra one was the perfect example. One of the other complaints that was about uh, Stephen Kenny's uh, set up was that there was very little consistency from game to game. You know, we played three to back against Serbia uh, and against Luxembourg and against Qatar. But then um, against Andorra, we reverted to four to back with five in midfield. Well, I suppose you could call it a two and three um, with Colin and Horan anchoring the midfield behind Knight, Parrot and Curtis. You could argue that it worked because two of those three players uh, scored night and, and Parrott with his first two goals at an international level. But I'm pretty sure I made the point after the game that the the difference maker, the most the, the biggest uh, influence on the results was the conditioning of the Irish players. If you want to compare it to a, a, another sport, it was a bit like Ireland versus Italy in the Six Nations in the when Italy first joined the competition. You kind of knew... For the first 60 minutes, Ireland, or indeed any team that played Italy, were going to be up against uh, a physical side. But in the last 20 minutes, their conditioning, compared to the conditioning of the other five fully professional sides, would cost them. And that's what really was the, the decider in that game against Andorra. All our goals came in the last 30 minutes and two in the, the last six minutes, uh, night after 84 and Horgan uh, on 89, which probably put a, a, a gloss on the result and definitely uh, definitely put one on the performance. And so to the last game before the summer break for everyone who wasn't playing in Euro 2020, which of course took place in 2021, a uh, friendly against Hungary in Budapest. To be honest, I remember less about this game than I do about the Andorra game. The big takeaway from it for me was 
Ogbeni uh, coming on with uh, only a few minutes left and almost winning it with a, a late run to the box and shot that was was saved. I thought at the time that might be the first and last time that we see the former Limerick and Cork City winger at international level, which perhaps shows what I know. And also Cuevin Kelleher coming on at uh, halftime for uh, his international debut. And Mark, uh, do you think that the results that Hungary got in the Euros, you know, they they lost to Portugal, but okay, look, Portugal are, are a good team. But they also got two credible draws against uh, France and Germany. Now, our players were, you know, were coming to the end of a, a long season. Maybe we could have got a, a win, but I think Hungary showed in the Euros that they're not a bad side and uh, they're they're capable of scoring. They're capable of grinding out a result. Hungary at that, it was their final game before the European Championships as well, so they were seeing that as a perfect send off. Getting a win, boosting confidence. I mean, their side as well, the Orban, Naji, Schaefer, Klein Huster. So they had pretty much a good complement of players that went on to represent their country in the 2020 European Championships. So to be honest, I thought the, the young guns again really did impress during that game. I mean, we were very defensively solid and well organized. So I think you have to give credit to the backroom staff, Stephen Kenny as well. There was a, definitely a marked up improvement in the defensive organization. You know, the likes of Hornhan, Josh Cullen, I thought, did a super job. Jason Knight was pushed a little bit further up the park as well. I thought Troy Parrott and Adamida, even though they were given kind of scant kind of service, really did work hard, tried to hold that ball up. Um, but overall, you know, Hungary are, were a good side. I mean, the results during that tournament was there for all to see. I mean, as well as that, you'd have to ask, you know, when... The Irish players went down with the, for the knee. The booze kind of rang out at the start. I think that was a prelude to what we'd seen um, later on in the tournament with Hungary as well. So overall, I think Hungary were a decent enough side. I felt that was probably a turning point at that point to, to get a result against a European Championship-bound team. Had to have given everyone the world of confidence. I mean, the Andorra game... More I think about that game, it was very much a banana skin because they hadn't won under Stephen Kenny. They just needed the win. And you could see this conference was soaring with Ireland, particularly in the last 10-15 minutes of that game. It did continue into this game. Now, granted, we did have to soak up an awful lot of pressure, uh, particularly in the first probably 60-65 minutes. You could see then Hungary pulling players off ahead of the European Championships. But overall, guys, I thought that was a very well-deserved uh, draw, given the defensive display. Shane Duffy coming back into the team as well. I think this was, a, this was a huge turning point for us and Shane Duffy's career. I think it was it was the start of us looking reasonably solid at the back again. Yeah, it seemed to be the facing out of Karen Clark as well because we haven't mentioned him at all. I mean, he started the first two games uh, for Sim Kenny under this campaign, but hadn't been seen of then since. So I mean, Shane Duffy coming back into it, there's no coincidence there. But there's, that, there's a lot of players that that we saw at the start of the year that really phased out quite early halfway through the games even that we haven't seen since you know the likes of Manning Connolly you know we didn't see Parrell a lot towards the end of the year the, Clark as you said the, there's a lot of players there that were involved that I think once the, the, after this game I think we started to get our spine fairly set and he started to pick the same six in defence midfield I think that was the start of it but this was one of the first games I think and it was it was a clean sheet, the first clean sheet of the year. 
I think if you look in defence, it's Duffy, Egan and O'Shea, which is probably Kenny's ideal starting defensive three, because they're three centre halves by trade playing in um, central defence. Egan would be obviously very familiar with playing three at the back with Sheffield United. I think Darryl Shea has the ability to play anywhere across the back four. And the, Shane Duffy, at that stage, uh, people were talking about the end of his career, that the move to Celtic had gone so badly that he wasn't going to be able to get back into the Brighton team. And, you know, the best thing he could do would be look for a move in the, the summer, maybe to a championship club. Now, he's... and. As Marcus said, it was these two games, Andorra and Hungary, and possibly and the training camp that came with it, that gave him the the little boost at the end of the season. Um, and he's gone straight from strength to strength in this season with Brighton. Um, you know, if you look at the the lineup against Serbia, Travers hasn't played since. Stevens, I know he's been injured, but he hasn't been first choice. Clark has been dropped, and when the team met in October, Kenny said that they were going to look at him in the November window, but that didn't happen. And I think the, the player that suffered the most from from the start of the year is Aaron Connolly. You know, he started against Serbia, played 70 minutes, but as the year has gone on, we've seen less and less of him uh, to the point where we were discussing after the games in October that Troy Parrott coming on ahead of him was the manager sending a pointed message to the Brighton striker that he's not part of his plans right now and he needs to start delivering on his ability. Yeah, it still seems to be the case as well, doesn't it? You know, it's a big, it's a big January for him coming up. Massive, cha- massive January for him though, isn't it? Like, it's, I mean, it's career defining. We'll see. We'll see. Has he the? Was he enough cop on? But has he? Has he the stomach to go down and fight in the championship or even lower to to try and get his way back into the team? You know, he's the likes of Michael Obafemi there, we haven't even mentioned. One of you know, we such high hopes for him. It, it, one of the things that when I was looking at my notes, it really we had a lot of strikers that fell away. You know, they were the two main ones, I suppose, and even Parrot towards the end of the year. Just strikers seemed to regress until the likes of Ogbeni came on and made such a such an impact late on. So, with the European Championships completed and domestic football uh, restarting across Europe, the Irish team assembled again in September for another triple header against Portugal, Azerbaijan and uh, their, uh, the return game from Serbia from the opener and the qualifiers. Going to face Portugal at any time is a daunting prospect. But after the Euros, after Cristiano Ronaldo failing to break uh, Ali, Ali Dai's long-standing men's international goal-scoring record, his first opportunity was going to come against Ireland in this qualifier. And he had a chance uh, in the 15th minutes to do that when he, uh, Ireland conceded a penalty. And there was nobody else in the Portugal team that was going to step up and face Gavin Bazunu from 12 yards. But I think... Gambazin who's saving that game is one of those moments where you kind of look back and think that's when things started to improve. That's where we saw the team starting to gel. People talk about James McLean coming on against Poland and crunching one his opposite number. People talk about Roy Keane's tackle against Mark Overmars in 2001. 
And I think Gavin Bazunu's save from Cristiano Ronaldo penalty is one of those moments where people kind of thought, okay, the team are definitely up for this. And as the half went on and as Portugal were growing more and more frustrated, we started to play a bit of football. And we started to play some really good football. And we scored. Uh, right on half time, you know, what everyone says is the best moment to score. And for another 45 minutes, we looked like coming away from Portugal with a result, with a great result. But Mark, look, Cristiano Ronaldo is one of the great players of all time. Um, and nobody was going to take that record away from him. And two very late goals uh, at the side of the game. But I think uh, the consensus after the game seemed to be that if it was going to take Cristiano Ronaldo another 45 minutes, the referee would have played another 45 minutes. Yeah, it did have a feel of a testimonial about it, didn't it? Down in Faro and the Algarve. But you, you, you can't you can't say anything but Cristiano Ronaldo. He's an awesome player. Like, phenomenal phenomenal height he can get on those headers as well, guys. I mean, it was just a complete ball break, really. You know, after working so hard, getting a textbook goal from John Egan, we had a stonewall penalty not awarded to Darren Connolly. To then kind of go into the 90th minute plus minutes and then for two crosses to come in and Ronaldo particularly on the second one. I mean, it's not as if Seamus Coleman has completely lost him or anything. It's just a fraction of a second. Boom. You know, literally bottom corner. It was just superb goals, just predatory strikes. You know, you'd think you have guys like that, you know, in your pocket and then in a matter of three minutes, he turns the game on its head. So what can you say? Well, it was Ronaldo's night really and you know, we had to take it on the chin, but I think overall, guys, it was uh, the commitment, the effort was there. Could you have argued? Could we have put fresh bodies on a little bit sooner? I don't know. But again, people were kind of blocking shots. Bazuna came up with a few saves. And to even get a, a share of the spoils or a share of the points was just, it was pretty gut wrenching to basically see, to be honest. Yeah, it was it was a tough one to take. It was more the stonewall penalty that we weren't given than Ronaldo scoring the last two goals because his movement for the second goal to lose. I think it was first or second goal he lost Seamus Coleman with he, he disappears within a five yard space and his headers are incredible. But unlike the Serbia game where it was just glimpses, that was a full blown good performance. We played really well. Our keeper was outstanding. Our defense was solid. The manager actually got the team bang on. He looked at the Portuguese team. They played basically one holding midfielder and the rest were attackers. Very loose in midfield. And it was Jamie McGrath's first start as well. And he played a blinder. And I think this is the game that Stephen Kenny settled on. Those kind of first six players. And he hasn't diverged from them much since. It was tough to take with everything that happened with Ronaldo. But it was a great performance. And I I think people realised that. That was one of the first times we went, well, if we do that, he might be onto something. You know, we're talking a lot about Ronaldo and Bazunu um, because they seem to have their own personal battle in that game. But a player that emerged from it was, from seemingly, almost from nowhere, was Andrew Omovamdeli, who came on for Dara O'Shea after just half an hour in the first half when he went down with injury and performed like he'd been playing senior international football all his life. Um, for someone... Uh, you know, someone making his debut in that atmosphere against players like Ronaldo, like Fernandez, like uh, like Bernardo Silva, and to come out, you know, in the running for a man of the match 
was absolutely superb. And again, kind of similar to the to the Serbia game at the start of the year, we were coming home to face uh, Azerbaijan in Dublin on the back of a great performance. It didn't go as badly as Luxembourg, but the two there was no real comparison between the two performances. I think Stephen Kenny made some unforced changes between Portugal and Azerbaijan, and it suffered because of it. And we only got a draw against the other minnow in our group. And, you know, in a throwback to our first game under Stephen Kenny, it was a late header from Shane Duffy that got us the, the equaliser. Now, for me, there was a couple of mistakes he made, but I think after Amal Bamadeli's performance, not bringing him into the starting 11, 11 sent a, a, a wrong message. And I think playing James Coleman in that back three is a waste of the player himself. And there are better players available to him. It should have been Omar Bamadeli in the right of a back three. And the goal that was scored, you know, it, we all got flashbacks to the, the Luxembourg game that it was, it was a similar enough strike, uh, coming off that, coming from that inside right channel. Uh, to score uh, a long-distance goal. I mean, after the high of the performance against Portugal, Mark, uh, we were brought sharply back down to earth against uh, Amino uh, again. Yeah, no, they had Marlon's Luxembourg, didn't it? I mean, we never set a tempo, never really got at Azerbaijan in that first 10-15 minutes. Azerbaijan were quite happy to be, play compact. And I mean, right on the stroke half time as well when, uh, when the goal happened. I mean, there was a few warning signs a few minutes before. Players not really kind of pressing Azerbaijani players deep in our own half. And Mac Mudov, nothing to lose really. Took a shot from outside the area, heading into the top corner. So again, crowd in the Aviva. And to be fair to the crowd, tried to regroup the players. But it was a bit of a tough watch, uh, particularly for the likes of Parrot, Connolly, Ida. And I think the final third was kind of really kind of glaring again, you know, in terms of our quality, our threat up front. Either couldn't buy a goal, you know, we're really kind of in desperate stakes, really. And I mean, as you say yourself, Joe, how many times have we defended on Shane Duffy being our kind of attacking talisman, particularly at the end of these games? You know, and he did come up the trumps with a, a good held goal. But again, it, it was a bit of a letdown, just given how heroic the performance was against Portugal to then come on the back of this performance. I think it was just very disjointed. I do agree with you in terms of the back three there, you know, Coleman, but maybe, you know, the management saw Coleman Doherty as that kind of threat down the flank that could unlock Azerbaijan, but it never materialised. Uh, we just never really got to see kind of even Matt Doherty kind of as an attacking force here. So, no, it was hugely disappointing. Yeah, just to pick up on your point, Joe, about uh, Ahmed Bamadeli uh, missing out, I think Jamie McGrath, I remember when the team came out, I could not believe Jamie McGrath was not in that team. I remember thinking, what is this fella doing not playing Jamie McGrath? And I remember he came out with some, some bullshit after the game, basically going on about rotation and players being tired and needing to rest them. But it was the 4th of September. They weren't playing football that long. They'd, what, one game, two games in the summer? And, funny enough, the person who came in from Malumbi, I've never seen a player gas as hard in my life on 55 minutes. The man could barely walk. So I think it was a case of Stephen Kenny trying to be too clever and not doing the simple thing of basically keeping the team the same 
after such a goodwill performance. We lost. We lost against Portugal. The two goals were a sickener, but there was moment there was momentum to be gained there by playing the same team. And I think he got the team badly wrong that night. I think just unfortunately here, Phil, getting back to your comment about Malumbi, do remember as well he was being absolutely cast aside at Brighton and again recently made a lone move to West Bromwich Albion and really hadn't played many minutes. Yeah. It's it's that yeah. kind of Travers scenario where he puts someone in. I can see the rationale freshen up the side, but again for such a key position in the centre of the park. Bra hadn't played that many minutes, you see, that was the thing. Yeah. You know, it, he, he, basically, it was a cop-out because he got it wrong to say that players needed to be rested. They, uh, he absolutely didn't need to be rested. It was the start of the season. They were only coming into the season. They were probably only just fully fit. So uh, he got it badly wrong that night. I think he prioritised the wrong game. He prioritised the, the Serbia game. As in, we'll get a result against Azerbaijan and then we won't get beaten by Serbia but after the performance against Portugal, it should have been, let's build on this momentum. Let's build on the team that we have assembled here and the performance. Remember, we still had, we hadn't won a competitive game at this point under the manager. Get the first competitive win, get that monkey off our back. And it didn't happen. And it meant that the final game of the triple header in September against Serbia came with a, a lot more pressure. And it was pressure of his own making. Now, the team he selected against Serbia, I think it went back to his favoured defensive selection of with with three actual central defenders playing in central defence, Egan, Duffy and Omar Vamadeli getting the reward for his performance against Portugal by coming back into the start 11 against Serbia. Jamie McGrath was brought back into central midfield alongside Jeff Hendrick and Josh Cullen. I actually think Hendrick has gone a little bit under the radar under Stephen Kenny, especially in the second half of the year. Like He's definitely been performing better for Ireland than he has been for his club, for Newcastle. And you know Stephen Kenny seems to be getting the very best of his ability out of him, certainly since the Euros in 2016 in France. Now, we did go behind early against Serbia, um, and Tadic involved uh, once more. But I think the, the difference in this game was that we pushed on. We like we went looking for a result and we did score. I was at the game and I thought it was actually uh, Shane Duffy who scored, but it was given correctly as an own goal and even could have won it with an even later shot from Andrew Omovamadeli. And I was right behind the goal watching that and it was curling in. The keeper, Rajkovic, had to make that save or else we could have had our first competitive win against one of the two top seeds in the group. So looking across the three games in in September, we had a great performance but a bad result, an awful performance and, and, and an unexpected result, and a good performance and a good result. A lot of the complaints from the start of the year still remained, but these three games was where we started to see the improvements that Kenny was making to the side. The signs were on it after the Serbia game. We were waiting to see what the influence of the likes of Barry and and Co would be, and I think it was it was seen in these games mainly down to the defensive setup. And as you mentioned, Jeff Hendrick and Jeff and and Josh Cullen were starting to put together quite a nice little partnership as well. The Serbia game, like there was a lot of chances. Bazunu had one of his best games. He made a string of saves that night, but we also had a good few chances. 
we went after that win, that after the equaliser, as late as it was, and we were lucky not to get it. We we would have deserved it, you know. So to come away with a, a decent point at home to a top side, but actually to come away disappointed that we weren't going to take all three points, that was huge. We haven't been in that situation really against a, a top team under Kenny, or for a while even at that. The two games, Portugal and Serbia, were there were two games where we were facing teams that were ranked ahead of us, that were seeded ahead of us, and you know we still could have come away with more than the point that we did. Um, Serbia were really hanging on, like really yeah. hanging on. I know you were at the game, but while watching it on TV, oh man, it was like watching a you know a, a fighter just hang holding on for the ropes in the last round, praying he doesn't get knocked at the floor. Uh, you know, this it was as loud as I've heard the Aviva. I think we talked about it the day after. The Aviva was absolutely rocking after that goal for the last few minutes. There was enjoyment there. Yeah, after 60 minutes as well, wasn't it? A big roar went up from the Aviva. Like, just, it seemed to galvanise the team on the pitch. Like, and you could see the change in the pattern of the play. Because Serbia, from that point, they had been, had had very good moments. Like, as you say, Pizuna was outstanding. With a few key saves, we had a few key blocks. But from 60 minutes on, we really did kind of grow into the game, didn't we, as an attacking force? Um, you see McLean, you see Doherty coming up uh, further up the pitch, you know, finding a bit of final third um, supply. So, I mean, you know, it was at least that we deserved, I thought, particularly in the last 15, 20 minutes. Yeah, and I agree 100% with Phil that Serbia were hanging on. You could sense, you could sense it in the crowd and you could see it on the pitch that they they knew that they needed that final whistle. Um, and as I said, the Irish equaliser came possibly too late for us to force a win. But everyone came out of the stadium thinking, OK, the squad that had been formed was playing foot, the kind of football the manager wanted them to play. And he had figured out how to get them to play that, that brand of football as well. And there was massive anticipation ahead of, ahead of the two games in October uh, against uh, away to Azerbaijan and then the home game against Qatar after his performances like people were convinced convinced that we were going to see goals and we were going to get a win and we were going to get our first competitive win uh, under the manager but to be honest I don't think anyone thought they'd go as well as they actually did away to Azerbaijan uh, in the, the first week in October we controlled the game from beginning to end and they had no answer for us whatsoever. This was a completely different setup to the home game against Azerbaijan only uh, a month earlier, where they had almost gotten a, a famous win. And finally, this was a, a result that reflected a performance. This was the team playing a, a really, really good brand of football designed to get the best out of the players that were on the pitch. Uh, it was three center halves playing in. Uh, central defence, Egan Duffy and Omovam Delhi, which meant that, and the emergence of, of which has meant that we haven't missed Darrow O'Shea at all, whereas at the beginning, uh, in September, people were talking about him possibly being, uh, captaining the team. It was Cullen and Hendrick sitting deep and protecting those three centre backs. And then it was a combination of Horgan and McLean on the left and Robinson and Doherty on the right, just tearing their opposite numbers from Azerbaijan around the place with Ida providing a focal point for the attack. Callum Robinson scored twice and possibly could have had a hat-trick. Um, and uh, Ogbeni 
came off the bench to to score a very late goal and proven himself to be worthy of a, of a squad position. Mark, what did you think of that? I thought it was a quality performance because I thought it was one of the standout performances from an Ireland team quite a long time away from home. Um, I thought it was very high tempo from Ireland from minute one. Good passing, particularly our wing backs, you know, particularly McLean, also Doherty getting up that park. I mean, McLean instrumental for the first goal of Colin Robinson slid in a lovely ball. I mean, Horgan leaves it off for Robinson. It's a great strike. I mean, galvanised the team immediately. And Yes, I mean, Azerbaijan did have some kind of moments where they had a few crosses, stuff like that, but again, didn't really feel as if we were that threatened. And I mean, the second goal was pivotal before halftime, really, to kill the game, I thought, as a contest. But, um, you know, and even second half, wise guys, I mean, we could have had three or four in that half. Straight after halftime, we had a kind of a three-on-one situation. Uh, but again, it was great to see Shidozi Ogbeni scoring an awful lot of directness about him. Uh, you know, it was great to see him score. Um, again, 3 0. I mean, the seeds of optimism from, you know, Serbia, the Portuguese game, the, the upper curve was happening now in terms of the results, but also performances as well. And I think you have to credit Anthony Barry. I would also credit Stephen Rice here because Stephen Rice had come in now at this point, particularly as the performance opposition analyst coach, and I felt we had made good adjustments there. And I would only, you know, I'd imagine Rice, Stephen Kenny, Keith Andrews, that they all would come together along with Anthony Barry to really form a good game plan. And we definitely looked more solid against Azerbaijan second time out than we did in the Viva. So, I mean, superb performance. Couldn't couldn't fault it really, to be fair. Yeah, it was absolutely worlds away from, from the, the previous game against them. I think the big thing was Callum Robinson. Obviously, having a senior player, having an experienced forward like that come into the team, and we missed him so much through injuries and COVID. He just really never got a run in the team under Stephen Kenny, and we really missed him. But to have a player with a small bit of class and a small bit of a small bit of strut around him, he knows he's got the ability to put the ball in the in the in the goal from twenty five years out against the likes of Azerbaijan. Maybe Adam Ida doesn't yet. Still playing in himself and I think having a player like that at the top it sends a confidence through the whole team and it's a settled team at this stage Mark has gone on about the upward curve which we're on we have a settled six there a settled six or seven Bazuna Doherty Egan uh, Duffy Cullen Hendrick you know that's the spine that's the base move the pieces around them if you have to but that's our solid structure and we're going to build from that and you can see, you can see in that game that we had really turned a corner. And by having a solid base and having a couple of midfielders who know what the other one is doing and what they want to do and how to get the ball into feet quick up front with the likes of Robinson, we can punish teams that we previously couldn't punish because we, we didn't have any cohesion between midfield and attack because our, our strikers aren't experienced enough at the end of the day. So it was definitely, it was a complete performance, as Mark said. It was one of our most complete performances. And we could have had 10 in the second half. You were right. It was a, a big turnaround for anyone who's been watching the Ireland team for over the last few years because in a lot of games, it's us who are compact and defence and restricting the opposition. But in this game, we took it to Azerbaijan. Like We forced our game onto them. like And they had to deal with it. We didn't give them a chance or we didn't give them time on the ball. We forced them back into their own half in the you know, on their own pitch, and they came off thinking 
we got away with 3-0. It could have been a whole lot worse. This is the team that wouldn't be better than us, on paper, man for man. And But what we did to them is what Luxembourg came to and did to us in the Aviva. You know, without maybe racking the three goals up. But that's what they did. They put us in our own half and they said, we're going to play a bit. And what are you going to do about it? And we've been watching teams for the last year and a half do this to us, who we think are minnows or aren't as good as us. And we couldn't understand why. And it was nice to actually go away and do that to another team and actually see that we're now expansive in the midfield. We're actually like using the ball more more than a long ball, but we're mixing it up. I think the the next game after Azerbaijan, a home game against Qatar, was probably the best performance of Stephen Kenny's reign so far. Uh, it saw the first uh, hat-trick from the men's team in a long time. Callum Robinson, I think, showed uh, he showed his value not just yeah not just the team but the way that the team uh, obviously by scoring three goals but also with him on the pitch we can build the team around him we can use him as a focal point for the team we can use him to bring other players we can bring say Jay McGrath or or Ogbeni who were playing behind him in that game into the game and he can score and again when you consider that when we played Qatar earlier in the year. He scored early and then sat back and sat back and conceded. Didn't look like getting a, a, any result other than a draw out of it. In this game, we never looked like doing anything except winning. And a, the only complaint after it was that we didn't score more than the four goals that we did. This is one of those games where it started to look like we had a bit of depth as well, lads. Let's not forget, like our options off the bench didn't seem all that great maybe three or four games ago. Whereas now, the likes of Ida McLean... Connolly all weren't even used that game. We had options um, to come on. So, yeah, it was, again, Robinson. I go back to the game where, I go back to the game after the, or the Portugal game where McGrath had a, had a great game and he's dropped the next game. They play Callum Robinson. He scores two. They play him again. He'll get three. There was no need to mix it up too much. I think you could see Stephen Kenny grow over this period as well. And maybe, as Mark alluded to earlier, that's down to a lot of help from the backroom team and a more settled backroom team unit. I suppose, lads, when have we ever completed 663 passes, 92% accuracy? That, to me, was the headline of the night. This was the Stephen Kenny ethos division. We pressed hard. Katarin run off the park from minute one. And you could see the confidence oozing on the side from the performance of Azerbaijan. It kind of followed into this game. Also, it was good to see Creevy and Kelleher getting a game. We saw Nathan Collins getting a debut. Jason Knight comes on. So you can see slowly but surely an awful lot of young prospects also getting game time as well. So, I mean, 4-0 was a great result. And I think for Qatar as well, it was a harsh reality in terms of Maybe the World Cup next year as well. I think they probably learned plenty out of that in terms of how not to perform as well, particularly because Ireland's press, I thought, particularly first 30 minutes, guys, was incredible. You know, the cohesiveness, particularly our front three, our midfield, we were all pressing together uh, as a unit. I mean, Qatar could not get out of their own half. They're just, it was just a very, very good performance again. And I think it was winning an awful lot of hearts and minds in the stadium. Um, as the game wore on, you know, some of the goals were superb. Shane Duffy scored again. And I thought Jeff Hendrick again, guys, performance level again, 
on an upward trajectory as well. He was very prominent in all that we did well from an attacking sense, you know, and lucky not to get a goal himself. So all in all, it was a fantastic night. Those two results, those two performances meant that when Portugal came to the Viva Stadium in November, it was the hottest ticket in town. Uh, Aviva Stadium was absolutely rocking that night. And while I don't think anyone thought that we could get a win, we definitely anticipated a repeat of the performance that we'd seen in Faro two months earlier. Now, we didn't see any goals in this game, but by the same token, neither did Portugal. And they never looked like getting a result either. Ronaldo was subdued. Fernandez seemed to have brought his form under Anagala Shoskar to Fernando Santos's team and defensive stalwart Pepe uh, got sent off. I think a, a draw was probably a fair result. <laughs> to be honest, I don't remember too much about the game. I was, it was right before my wedding, so uh, I wasn't really paying attention. That's a valid excuse. It was, it was, it, do you know what? It was, it was kind of like an old school performance, maybe under Martin O'Neill. It was a real meaty kind of the tackles were flying in from minute one. Like, we were well up for it. I don't think the players went out thinking they were going to get beat. Let's put it that way. You know, they imposed themselves on Portugal. Portugal had some good chances, but by at this stage, we had two or three clean sheets in the bag. Gavin Bazuna was playing phenomenally for club and country, and we were creating chances. And I think it it's a game that we may look back on. Like, it, it, could, it really could cost Portugal, you know, that draw. Really, like they had lost their heads by the end of it as well with Pepe and that. But it meant that they needed to get a result against Serbia to mm-hmm. not finish second in the group. And now they're facing into playoffs in the new year instead of going straight to uh, the finals in Qatar. The word that came to mind was Koi. It was a very Koi performance. You know, both teams not really looking to get themselves too exposed defensively. You know, chances were hard to come by. No, granted. Ronaldo's header right after half time. I thought that was nestling into the bottom corner. Fortunately for us, it goes wide. But overall, I thought defensively, well organised again. Um, you know, our back three really, I thought, did very well in the night. I thought Shane Duffy, Coleman, Egan, Glossel. And again, our midfield, uh, Ogbeni as well had a slow start, but second half wise, he definitely um, caused problems down the flank. So, I mean, Pepe gets his. Sending off really, which we've kind of talked about here, but again, it's the final third, you know, scope for improvement here. You know, we really didn't ask too many questions of Portugal besides, you know, the, I think Matt Doherty had the goal disallowed, referee had already blown for a free kick before that ball had gone in. Really didn't threaten much, uh, in terms of creativity. Maybe that was probably the only one disappointment, but again, nil all draw. It continued the unbeaten run, another clean sheet. So, plenty of positives, really. So, look, we kind of knew then that Luxembourg was a must-win game to secure third place in the group. Yeah, so we knew going into our final game of the group, away to Luxembourg, that uh, a win would see us finish third in a group where, as I think we said when when the draw was made, that we expected to finish third, but we hoped to be at least in with a chance of finishing second. As it turned out, we finished third with a, a, an outside chance of finishing fourth, but we did need to get a win in Luxembourg. We needed to avenge that loss in Aviva Stadium at the beginning of the year. The first half, I thought maybe the players showed maybe they didn't have the same cohesion that they'd had in the previous three fixtures. And Luxembourg, perhaps unlucky to have a goal ruled out, but 
once Shane Duffy scored the first of the three goals Ireland scored on the night, it, the result really was never in doubt. But I think uh, everyone agreed after the game that the turning point was the introduction of Jason Knight during the second half. And one of the criticisms that we've had of Stephen Kenny is that he doesn't know how to change a game. He doesn't know how to bring on the players from the substitutes that would make a difference either to the way the, the team is playing or to the scoreline. But in this game, the substitution really was uh, the difference. And I'm really looking forward to seeing more of Jason Knight in the new year. Well, my takeaway moment from that was, well, I think it was our goal of the year, wasn't it? Like Bane's goal. Had to Absolutely. Have been. Absolutely. It just tied up the whole year perfectly. I think everybody was everybody was back on side nearly at this stage. But if you look, we had come from the depths of losing 1-0 to Luxembourg to stutter and along, and then we went on this run. And I think, you know, we finished the game, finished the year with, you know, unbeaten in six, four clean sheets, and I think we got how many goals in the last three or four games. You know, it was it was a great way to end the year, and it was a great performance in the second half as well. And I think that goal could have been the moment of the year, really, for the team, because it just looked like it was nearly expected, do you know? It was a goal I don't think we would have scored under previous managers. Absolutely not. That goal was like something, you know, when you're watching basketball and you're wondering how did they do, how did they know to do that? You know, it's it's a lot more off the cuff and fast in basketball, these things. We don't really see it with an Irish team. You might see it at a high level in the Premier League or that, or the Champions League, but this was a high quality goal. This was a goal that absolutely just ripped the opposition apart. It was perfect. It showed kind of a window into the understanding these players have together and how much they've come on together in the last few months. You know, it looks like Whatever they're doing is working. They've gelled. We can see what they're trying to do now. They're on the same wavelength. Management are on the same wavelength. They're making the right decisions, as you pointed out, uh, when it comes to in-game, in-game decisions. It all kind of just looked like it fell into place. It looks good now, considering how bad it looked a few months previous. Yeah, if you look at how Man City play at the moment, and look, they're playing, I'm not saying we're playing anything like them, the, the football that they're playing, I, I guess, that I saw at the weekend is just a, it's on another level. It's on a different planet. But if you look at the way they play, whenever someone has the ball, you can see all, straight away the player in position knows almost by instinct where everyone else on the pitch is and what his options for passing are. And, and in that goal, in Ogbeni's goal, that's exactly what we had. Every single player, when they got, received the ball, knew where their options on the pitch were and what each option would mean for the next phase of play. And Luxembourg genuinely didn't know what to do every time a pass was made. They didn't know where the ball was going to go. They didn't know who to mark. They didn't know who to watch. And it was an absolutely phenomenal goal. And as I say, a goal I don't think we would have scored under previous managers. Yeah, I totally agree with that, Joe. Um, and you even see the performance of Martins Pereira as well. He was the anchor of Luxembourg's midfield. Emphasised the point. Thought he was very lucky to stay on the pitch in that second half because he had massive calls to make every single minute. Where Ireland had one or two guys looking for the ball with the guy in position, with, um, in possession. Like so, I mean, Martins Pereira was being stretched all around the place, and you could see the frustration here with Luxembourg build as that second half particularly wore on. Um, you know, so but the the goals were well worked. I mean, even the the first goal is a free kick. 
they were able to see that Sean, the goalkeeper, was flapping across their array of knots. Asked him one more time to basically come on across, couldn't get near it, Duffy scores. I mean, it was good execution, uh, I thought, from Aaron, particularly in that second half. After that wake-up call that you mentioned, Joe, particularly that long-awaited referee uh, decision for a free kick-out, I mean, let's play develop, Luxembourg get the ball in the back of the net, and we're thinking, oh, here we go again. But from then on, the wake-up call, I thought, you know, our play, our possession was superb. And I mean, Luxembourg will run ragged, particularly in the last 15, 20 minutes. I think 3-0 was a richly deserved result, really. After looking through the the fixtures for the year, um, from where we were at the beginning of the year and where we are now, and you could even make an argument that where we were after the Azerbaijan game in September, we're on an upgrade curve. We had seen patches of play before the Serbia game where we kind of thought, OK, that looks good. But it were they were very much they were the form and you know not the not the class of the team. But we started to see more of them during a game. We're starting to see the team perform the way the manager wants to. And, and more than that, I think the squad has been changed more in the last twelve months than possibly any twelve month period in the last twenty years, to the point where this is very much the manager's team now. It isn't it's not the squad that he inherited from Mick McCarthy, and it's not the squad that was there under Martin O'Neill. This is Stephen Kenny's squad playing the brand of football that Stephen Kenny wants the team to play. And I'm really looking forward to the new year. And it, it was a shame that the year ended when it did, and we only got to see the team playing that brand of football in the six games against Portugal, Serbia, Azerbaijan, Qatar, uh, Portugal and Luxembourg. Phil, we don't know where we're going to be in 12 months' time. We don't even know if we're going to be in stadiums in 12 months' time. What was your overall impression of the improvements in the last 12 months? And what do you hope to see? Maybe even just if you look at the first six months of the new year. When that qualifying group was announced, like I was, one of, I was very vocal in saying we hadn't a hope of qualifying. I genuinely didn't think we had a hope of qualifying. Like, we were nowhere near Serbia. We were nowhere near Portugal. X amount of teams qualified for the European Championships. We weren't near it. Half them would go to the World Cup. We weren't going to be near them. So I think the main thing for the year at the start of it was that we brought in, we brought through players. And he's done that. He's brought through players. He's like, Ogbane, Omabamadele, you know, Bazunu. These lads, 12 months ago, they weren't near an Irish, an Irish senior jersey. McGrath, Knight. You know, even Cullen, even someone like Cullen, who is, you know, who's 24, 25. All these ads have been brought through. You know, it's a huge sea change. It's the biggest there's ever been. And I think he's he's done a good job of bringing them through. And we seem to look like we have a, a settled unit and we know what we're doing. And there's potential for another couple to come through. And so I think overall the year has to be seen as, as a success, you know. We hit our lowest ebb against Luxembourg at home, but we learned from it and we went on an upward trajectory. And I think just the absolute demolition job he had to do to that squad in the last two years, I think looking at it now, I think you can only see, say it's a success. And next year, I think I think we'll continue. I think we'll continue in the, in the, the rich vein of form we're in. I think we'll, we'll keep putting it up to teams. And I think as long as we can keep scoring goals... You know, we need someone like Callum Robinson to stay fit and to stay playing. I think if he, if someone of his quality isn't isn't in the starting eleven, we may struggle a small bit because 
as much as good as our midfield is, we don't have an awful lot of goals coming from midfield either. Um, I'm optimistic for next year. And overall, I think 2021 was a success, even though it was nearly the biggest civil war in Irish football since Saipan. But these things are forgotten when you're scoring goals and, you know, winning games. These things, they're easily forgotten. Like, I remember, Joe, after the Luxembourg game, like, I remember you were, goodbye, Stephen Kenny. And could we blame you for saying that? Not really at the time, but... Six months after that, it's it's a long time in football. So, yeah. onwards and upwards. A week is a long time in politics. Six months is a lifetime in football. <laughs> mm, um, funny you mentioned Saipan, because the 20-year anniversary of that is coming up no, next year. No, no, something, don't mention something, something for us all to <laughs> not look forward to. Mark? Guys, if you told me this time last year that Darren Randolph wouldn't be anywhere near the mm-hmm. Republic of Ireland squad, I would be massively concerned. But the fact that now we have three... Very good, capable goalkeepers like Gavin Bazuna, Creeping Kelleher, and like Mark Travers said at the start of the podcast, I thought he was just left in the lurch completely in Serbia, but it's still a fantastic keeper. I think it's shown to Stephen Kitten ethos that he is giving guys, the younger guys, an opportunity to impress. Like said, the Jason Knights, the Nathan Collinses do excite me. You know, Nathan Collins is getting more regular first team action with Burnley in the Premier League. He's been giving Ogbene, he's giving, you know, Guys like that, absolutely massive opportunities here. Jamie McGrath, Seth Murn could get a good move in January potentially. So you can see division. I, I think what was the problem at the start of the year was the uncertainty a little bit. We were seeing an awful lot of enforced errors leading to very much stupid goals being conceded, stuff like that. But I think the switch happened during the summer and particularly during that Portugal game in, in Faro and Algarve where um, Ireland really did bring it on to the next level in terms of performance. Again, we need to kick on again next year. And I think the squad depth, particularly final third, would be kind of probably the area of maybe more scope improvement. We've seen Benny, we've seen Callum Robinson really be prominent. We'd like to see the likes of Aaron Connolly, Troy Parrott, really, Adam Eder, really get to that next level now. You know, get more regular first team football, get more club goals translates into good international performances. So I think Stephen Kenny and background staff, I think that's probably the key point here is that final third wise we still are a work in progress significantly. You know, Robinson's had his good streak of form, but again we're looking for more out of the other final third squad members here. Meanwhile Keane has come into the picture but I'm not sure long term is he going to be a viable option. So we're gonna have to continue to scout. We're gonna have to continue to see anyone genuine like Ocaflex, I think for me, guys, is the key decision that has to be made very early from Stephen Kenny this year or next year to get him into an international setup, whether that be under 21s or whether that's international friendlies in March. Get him committed, get him nailed down because he's a natural goal scorer. And this is where we have to elevate ourselves to that next level. We need more quality up there. Um, so that would be the hope. Um, again, that curve I've been talking about, it's on the upper trajectory. We're nowhere near where we want to be, but again, it was a nice little end to the qualification campaign. And really, for Stephen Kenny and backroom staff, the real asset test starts in the Nations League uh, come next year. We really have to be competitive on that. So, look, all bodes well. It's uh, six months now to our next competitive game when we uh, host Ukraine for the very first time in June 2022. There'll be two friendlies at the end of March. We might see uh, some new players brought in with a view to playing them in the the Nations League in the second half of the year. 
I'm not really sure who might put their hand up for inclusion in that. I think Anthony Scully is long overdue, uh, call up to the national side. There's an outside chance that maybe someone like Evan Ferguson or Mipo Dubico could push on into the their the first team with their respective clubs. And seeing Ferguson on the bench for Brighton recently gave hope to a, a lot of Ireland fans. You know, the last 12 months have been tough. They've gotten better and they've gotten worse. And things are probably not as bad as they've ever had been. But some of the recent restrictions that were reintroduced have affected a lot of people. I don't know how I sound right now, but uh, when I recorded the last episode with Mark last week, I was suffering from COVID, having just been diagnosed. And I am a week into my 10 days isolation. It is not pleasant. And I wouldn't wish it on anyone. And if you're not vaccinated, get vaccinated because I'm convinced the vaccination that I had is the reason I didn't go to hospital. International football, Irish international football has improved massively from where it was just 12 months ago. And it has given the football fans around the country a massive boost. I want to see this uh, upward curve improve. I want to see us get our first home competitive win under Stephen Kenny, he's been in charge for nearly two years now, and we're still waiting on that particular monkey to be taken off our back. The first half of the year didn't give a, a lot of us hope, but the second half of the year shows how quickly things can change, in not just in football, but probably in life. And I'm looking forward to the new year. I'd like to thank Mark for joining me over the last 12 months. You can follow him on Twitter as Hawkeye Psychic. I'd like to thank Phil for joining me as well. You can follow him on Twitter at Phil Flanagan. Unfortunately, you just missed Phil's pop-up shop just before Christmas, but Phil, I think you're intending to have one in the new year? Yeah, hopefully towards the end of February, Joe. With no football really left to talk about until March, we'll be taking a little bit of a break, uh, although uh, we have discussed amongst ourselves that we might have a, a short episode going through some of the the stats that came up in my recent blog post about the players under Giovanni Trapattoni uh, as a rebuke to second captains. Yeah, no, I think overall, because it's been a difficult year, pandemic again, it's kind of ruled the roost again, hasn't it? As we kind of go into the Christmas period, lockdown in continental Europe, you see the, the impact in football fixtures. But to me, Shane Duffy, I think, was kind of a leading, a leading light on that Irish team, you know, particularly where he was at the start of the year with Glasgow Celtic what happened personal life-wise that his father, how he's emerged from that and literally catapulted himself back into that Brighton and Hove Albion team. And also kind of, you know, his leadership and goals for Republic of Ireland, I think has nothing been short of sensational. So it's been heroic in my eyes anyway. So, and, you know, next year, please God, we'll be a bit more optimistic on everything. And Joe, best wishes. Hope everything goes well in terms of your health, in terms of COVID and everything else. But hopefully next year, new chapter, that we can move on from this pandemic and start kind of living a normal life again and going to a few more football games. Yeah, just to say um, thanks for everything over the year, lads. Thanks for asking me back time and time again, no matter how much I waffle on. And uh, hopefully next year there'll be a day where we all actually meet in an Ireland game if the world returns to normal at all. It's a funny old year. It makes you think of, you have to enjoy the simple things in life. And I think 
it's been a difficult year for the Irish football team, but I think we need to really sit back and enjoy all these young players coming through because we've never had Anton Likert in 20 years. And I think you know, no matter what way results go, sometimes you have to just take great enjoyment out of watching someone like Gavin Bazuna or Ogbonne do the things that they do and, and hopefully take that into the new year. But uh, just to say thanks again. No problem at all. Delighted to have you on the uh, on the show. Look, I'd like to wish all our listeners a happy and safe Christmas and a happy new year. Uh, we look forward to talking to you in 2022. Okay.